Hey, you guys, welcome back to my channel. I am Allison, and this is a devotional heart. And today I have a really fun guest. I am just getting to know him, but we have a lot in common. And he is going to have some fun stories to tell you about his life before he became Orthodox and just what he loves about the faith. And we're going to get into some books some saints, some really fun stuff. So, um, but before I introduce him, I just want to thank everybody for watching, leaving comments, sharing, subscribing, um, following me on Instagram at a devotional heart. I'm just really enjoying getting to know this community and I'm super, super grateful for you guys. So here is Gabe. Gabe, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Doing great. So um, I know you from the Orthodox community. I've seen mm -hmm. you in the chats on Jay Dyer's show and Church of the Eternal Logos, of course. And um, I think you even were on the birthday stream for Church yes, of the I Eternal was. Logos. And I, I just really loved your personality. And I think it was that night or the next night that I asked you to be a guest on my show. And so thanks for your patience. I'm glad we're finally doing this. Mm -hmm. And um, I told you before we started that I'm really interested in your story of how you became Orthodox and kind of like the things you were into in your life before that. So um, I'm just going to let you talk and share and I might interject with some questions, but um, why don't you start from the beginning? Sure. Uh, from the beginning, I am the son of Colombian and Dominican Republic uh, immigrants. So first generation American, second son. And my father was originally Roman Catholic. By the time he married my mom, I don't know what he was doing. Um, so the default, uh, I guess, background for me and my my sibling was Roman Catholic. You know, we got our first communion or baptism. I got, I got baptized like, like when I was like seven years old, I actually remember being baptized. They, they grabbed me and they held me up and they dunked my head and they put me back down. Um, I was in like a long line of like babies and here I was a seven-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as, um, you know, it, it gave me a, 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 I guess an introduction to God, but you know, my mom is a very nominal Catholic. She's still Catholic to this day. Uh, she's, her faith is getting stronger these days. So that's nice. Um, and, um, yeah, it, since it's nominal, I got to make a quick comment here regarding, you know, nom I don't really, I don't really get like the lukewarm nominal cultural Christians, man. I'm the kind of guy who goes like, goes, uh, just goes neck deep. You know, if you're, if you're going to do it, do it, commit to the bit. If not, like, just, just be secular. Anyway, <laughs> so because of that, um, that kind of approach, you know, my mom, my mom had, you know, I was like barely Catholic. Like I can't even tell you if they were speaking Spanish or Latin or English at the church. I don't, I don't recall. I don't remember anything about the services. So around the time after, uh, I guess, confirmation, like seven to eight or maybe around 10 is like, we definitely st just stopped going. Um, stopped not going completely. So I guess I kind of defaulted to being nothing. Uh, I didn't have a strong philosophical bone in my body around that time. Um, and it wasn't until high school where I got my first, uh, experience of being, uh, how do you say serious about 
introduced to God in a serious context. And it's a very strange sect called um, the Seventh-day Adventists, but not just any Seventh-day Adventists, like a, like a non-denominational variation of it. So, you know, worshiping on Sundays, it's actually pretty big against uh, among the Latino community. I have family, I have a family member who's a, uh, he's, he's my uncle. He's a, he's a minister in this, in this uh, sect. And he comes from, he actually, his training comes from Jehovah's Witnesses and those guys are spiritual cousins. So in this, in around this, around the, my mid teens, that's when I get introduced to uh, the, the, you know, I gotta tell you, even, even this massively heretical, uh, uh, like interpretation of God just is such a step up from a secular, no, no basis. Uh, I don't know. Like, well, you can call it like an agnostic person who didn't have any, who just lives day to day, like a bug. No, no, no offense to agnostic people, but you know, so I, I became uh, the seventh day advances. Um, uh, and the funny thing is I wouldn't even, if you asked me back then, you, if you, you say, Hey, what kind of Christian are you? I would just say, Oh, I don't know. Maybe Protestant. I still have family members who are who are part of this uh, belief system, including my father. He eventually he eventually uh, he eventually converted to to this, and he, so he basically went from an, an, a, a non agnostic guy to a Seventh Day Adventist guy. He's he's in that to this day. Um, it, Brother Augustine mentioned this. Uh, sorry to reference other YouTubers, but he he said um, like these type of Christians. Um, you can't even call them Christian. Um, these type of people, uh, you know, Seventh Day Adventists. Mormons and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they don't have any basis in church history. If you ask them about uh, church history, they'll just throw up their hand and be like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, moving forward, come across a couple of uh, uh, articles. I actually was given the assignment, hey, reach up, the, research the history of the Bible. When I was, this is when I was 19, 19. And, uh, you know, not having a, a basis of church history, that didn't go too well to the point where I apostatized it's a blessing in disguise. Now you look at it, but you know, looking back on it, but you know, it, it didn't, it didn't jive. It's very, it's very strange how <laughs> I'll give you a little perspective how this works. You look, you look into the history of the creation of the Bible and in the Protestant world, you say, Oh, well, it's Constantine who brought it up, but Constantine, you know, in Orthodox church, Constantine is a saint, you know, in Roman Catholic church and so forth. He's not, I don't know why. Um, and, um, so they're just like, yeah, he's a her- he's this heretic who's a pagan who uh, was just manipulating the church for for political gain, mm-hmm. and you know, you're and you're like, and this is the guy responsible for for compiling the Bible. Basically, they give him credit for that, which is not true, but that's what happens. And uh, we're just like, I'm just reading this. I'm like, wait, what? Like, this is this is a this is a machinations of what is a essentially a heretic? What? Not true, of course, but through through the lens of Seventh Day Adventist and the lens of I guess Western theology, that's how it kind of portrays it. Protestants anyway. And um that caused me to apostatize. I'm like, this isn't job, doesn't make any sense. So I just figured, oh, it's all nonsense. Uh so I became a atheist, which didn't last long at all. It's hard to be, I don't know how you be an atheist. You can't, I can't praise monkey, you know, I can't go back to, to my ancestors, I guess, the, the chimpanzees. Um <laughs> so atheism is 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 a transitory phase. And I think most most of like let's say philosophical minded people acknowledge that they don't really stay as rank atheists for very long Mm -hmm. so as you imagine we all know what happens to most atheists they go into things like perennialism in my case so i was hitting up my late college years mid to late college years you know i'd be i befriended a professor who was who was a what was he he was a uh 
evolutionary biologist, you know, and we were into the typical perennial things like we would hit up ashrams, do yoga, you know, that kind of stuff. Read, read, um, barely science, barely philosophical works and feel really smart about it. And we, then we go to coffee shops and talk about how intellectual we are. <laughs> this is terrible. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, we, you know, started dabbling into Buddhism, never got too deep into that. Never got too deep into that. And in the midst of this, is when I um as in this perennial perennialist phase of just searching anything that's vaguely spiritual and like I don't know imbibing in it a little bit I was very uncommittal, you know. Um, I can came. I, can I interject just yes. real quick about perennialism sure. because I don't know if you know I was a New Ager for thirty years, hmm. and I didn't even know what perennialism was at the time. I didn't figure out what it was until yeah. after I was Christian. Yeah. And just this idea that there's no absolute truth and there's no such thing. And um, everybody has their truth, your truth, my truth. I mean, that's what the new age is built on is this idea that we can create our own religion. Like you said, a little bit of yoga, a little bit of, I was a, a witch. I was a yogini. I would read Tibetan Buddhist books and, Taoism and um, Hafiz and the and the um, Sufi poets loved them, and it was just a, a Native American. Like I, I was a, I would like take things from different cultures, and I dressed very exotic. You know, as not all the time, but when I go out, I wanted to be very exotic, and it was just this whole thing where we can just like create our own truth because there's no such thing as absolute truth. <laughs> so, so yeah, I relate to that. So There's that movie. What's that movie called? You ever see that movie that that Jersey guy, the Indian who uh, who who mm-hmm. pretends to be a guru? I did see that. I forget the name of it. It's such a oh, good movie. No, it was. It, it's a documentary for those who don't know. It's his his story of how he posed as a holy man and hoodwinked tons of people into almost worshiping him. Right, like yeah. being his being his devotees, yep. and in the end, well, I don't want to spoil it, but the end is pretty good. It's pretty good, but the fascinating thing also is uh, there's this there's this one instance where he's you know like everything is being portrayed comically because he yeah. showed he did his homework, he went to India, he looked at his culture, and he just realized this is a mishmash of whatever. Mm. So he's like, I can break a point. Um, Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue too. I can make a point. So I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back to America. I'm going to go to the West West coast and I'm going to make my own little cult. Yeah. And he's extremely successful to the yeah. point. He gets somebody to bound to pictures of Os- Osama bin Laden and Obama, the president, <laughs> like it and with, with the incense in front of it. And the dude's completely serious. So it's, you get to see all kinds of characters, but there's this one magical point where, and like no pun intended, but you know, where someone starts opening up to him, like about some very, serious experiences and they capture this guy's stone face expression as it's like wait what am i doing like yeah. this person is letting them letting me into the most intimate part of their of their lives and mm-hmm. i'm making a fool out of them so yeah. it's a very it is it's oh boy I'm, we're gonna have to we'll, put we'll the link put, somewhere yeah we'll put the link in the description so it's a good film anyway yeah. moving forward actually it goes right it's like perfect right into more perennialism i get into a organized group called the masons so 
I, I was a former Freemason, uh, 33rd degree, 70, uh, Nutley Lodge, number 75 in New Jersey. Oh, dox myself. And um, <laughs> the, the, how did I get into it? You know, I can say several things because uh, there's a little psychology that goes into that, that traps, you know, it's a fraternity. It's, it's a, it's a fraternity where everyone dresses in suits and um, there is a type of baseline equality that everyone's treated with you know so even if you got got we had guys with, with ear gauges and tattoos you know but they dress and put their suits on and they were suddenly made men they're like people of substance who matter hanging out with their worshipful brothers um so my and this is the appeal this is the appeal that uh, who got me into it was actually my stepfather um and I think I saw, I think I went to the bathroom. I saw one of his like monthly magazines or bi-monthly magazines. And I asked him about it. He started telling me, and you know, we, we all know how it is. It's just like, oh, well, it makes good men better. And like, what do you mean by that? And what kind of guy who doesn't have a direction in his life, especially when you're a perennialist who's not committed to anything in my case, because, you know, people who pursued Buddha, Buddhism, hardcore, yogi, hardcore, I didn't pursue anything hardcore. I just, <laughs> yeah. I, I pursued playing video games hardcore. That's it. <laughs> so how old were you at this point when you joined the Mason Masons? I think I was 25. Mm-hmm. I think I was 20, 20. I don't, I think I was 24 when I joined. I was 24. I was, I think I left when I was 20, uh, 25 or 26. So it's, um, I, I think I spent about two, two years in the Masons. So I went through all their memorizations and, you know, showing up and, uh, you get introduced to symbolism, but unlike some people, like I didn't, I was never too into the symbolism outside of some surface stuff. I didn't go deep into the occult, but they do. I can care for them. They say, look, you got to at least believe in some God because they, they, they believe in some platonic ideal of God. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, so it, it, I just said, what well, was like, oh, I guess I think I'm a Buddhist or I think there's an idea of a generic God. So, but it's like people mentioned, like Michael mentions this, uh, Michael Whitcoff, he's, he says, uh, a lot of people just lie because it's great for business connections. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's old boys club. And once you get once you get in, in my particular lodge and with the company that I kept, look, I never really I, once I got the third degree master mason. All I really did was do kitchen work. I didn't really get, <laughs> get beyond being kitchen boy. But, you know, I enjoyed the the hanging with the brothers and I enjoyed the atmosphere of cigars and uh, and bourbon. And ultimately what got me to leave even though i mentioned i wasn't that into it i did have a basic belief in like well you know this we're gonna we're gonna, we're, we're here to make men better we've gotta be more accountable we, we we're wearing the you even hear things like oh you know you can't have road rage if you have the, the square and compass on your on your on your car bumper because you're representing the masons you gotta be a good guy so i actually bought into that even how despite how shallow the, the symbolism is and um basically what was going on in the lodge was they were encouraging each other to sin in such an egregious manner that like even me and my perennialist, uh, you know, uh, low committal um, self, I'm like, this is, this is evil, man. Basically one of the brothers was committing adultery. The other guys knew it and they thought it was funny and was, and were supporting it. And I'm just like, Whoa, this is, this is, so this whole thing about making good men better. It was yeah. a lie. Like yeah. look, we went out shooting, we went out smoking and drinking, we went at parties at fantastic times. We, we, we donated to charity. 
But like when it came to the whole, hey, let's be better men, it's like, no, right out the window. They 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 they'd uh they'd go and they greet this guy's wife at the parties and be like, Oh, how's it going? So nice to meet you. Your husband's a great guy, and then you know, they'd be laughing, laughing as a dude cheats on her in their parties. So I wasn't present when that happened, but I'm like, this is this is vicious. Yeah, I can't do I can't I can't be a part of this. And I just I realized like guess that was that was all it took for me to say that this is a lie. I can't I can't participate in this. And I went drifting along. Uh, so around that time, I'm like 26, 27. And um, so the print, I think I, I tried to go back to uh, at this point. What was I doing? Hardcore libertarian. That was the one thing I held on to since my early 20s, worshiping economics. Uh, uh, Ludwig von Mises and, uh, you know, the free market. Uh, gold standard, you know, Ron Paul. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, uh I eventually come across, um, you know, Jordan Peterson. So Jordan Peterson is very important to the story because he leads me to Jonathan Pajot. So it, it, it goes from, I guess I was pretty much a materialist at this point, you know, not really having, not really thinking much about the, the, the occasional yoga I would do. But um, when I came across, uh, you know, um, Jordan Peterson's and he's like, Carl Jungian analysis, which is a little more on the woo side. Woo side. I don't know when I say that, but you know, it, it gets beyond the material with the symbol symbolic languages. So I really got into that. Um, what's going on? Well, yeah, yeah, okay. This is this is where the big descent happens. All right, I'm trying to put on put on the the, the layers here. I'm getting into that. Um, at the same time, I think it's worth irrelevant. Relevant. There's a huge element. I didn't put too much emphasis there, but. Like the one thing I'm doing consistently from like childhood all the way up to this point is uh I'm a I'm a huge gigantic nerd. Like I'm I'm talking about video games, movies, and I have to bring this up because it's a key ingredient, right? And it's something a lot of guys deal with these days that I've managed to mostly sort of, uh, get get rid of. But um I'm really into this stuff to the point where I think I think the number one, you can say my religion at one point was playing Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not kidding you. I would sit on my computer and play adult make believe with other adults, you know, when we and I would even like I even like wrote like fake newspaper articles and wrote stories about this stuff. Like there's, a, there's an element of fun of it, but like, oh, my goodness, it's, it's a time sink. And I was I was hanging out with guys who were dedicated. They'd have like part time jobs and dedicate them all. The, very smart people, you know, smarter. If I just one of these guys is an aside, but I infiltrated the big blue. You know what the big blue is? No, uh, that's uh, that's the headquarters of uh, Scientology yeah it's called the big blue I, yeah that's what they call it because he lives he lives in la so this 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 uh a former buddy of mine like really smart guy you know but uh spiritual loss he, he he was doing some work and he's just like hey when i when i went over to visit him and his and his roommate um he's like hey gabe you want to you want to go uh infiltrate big blue I was like, I'm going to write an article for, for a guy who works and pulling people out of the, the, the whole Scientology cult. And I was really scared, but I use some, I use some D and D techniques in D and D you pretend to be someone you're not, you pretend to be an actor. By the way, if you're curious, there's tons of occultic stuff in D and D. I think Gary Gygax, he was an occultist because so much of his stuff is actually draws from real world magic, but that's an aside. Um, so I went on there under the moniker of Christopher Williams, which is a, is that a play on my name? It's a it's a play on my name. Yeah, my last name my last name is Tobal. We think it's 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 Chris Tobal in Spanish. So just chop off the end of that. And my my maiden my my father's maiden name is Williams. So you know Christopher Williams. And I managed to 
I had this moniker in my head is like, oh, if I become an East Love, I'll be Christopher Wilmot. I, I, my identity, obviously, that's not the case anymore. But with that in mind, I was able to successfully respond as when someone said Christopher, I'm like, hmm? like, so I went in there with a fake identity and we did their IQ test. It's a society. It's how they wrap people Wait, in. I got it. I need to ask you something. Yes. Are you talking about you went, you physically went to the headquarters or yes. you hacked into I, their system? I didn't. I physically went to the headquarters to, to take their IQ test to see what they do to rope people in yeah. under the name of Christopher Williams. Okay. You know, I know it's a bit of a side, but it's a, it's, it's just a fun little detour. No, I think this is very interesting. And I, I'm in my twenties, I got lured into Scientology too. Really? So. Oh yeah. man, we're getting all types of lore from you today. <laughs> so that's that's wild, yeah. And it was it was. I gotta tell you, it was fun. It was a fun experience, and it was spooky. But when you <laughs> when you really take take in, I think I still remember. Like I was like, "What street you live in?" I live like one twenty three Main Street, Patterson, uh, Jalalabad, or something like that, which is actual street in Patterson. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it was fun. It was spooky, but fun to be this, like basically a, a infiltrator and a spy. And one key thing I remember is someone else who came in also was, was actually named Christopher, and it was like, "Oh, you have the same name as me." I'm like, "Yeah, bro." And it's <laughs> that's funny. So tell me again. I'm sorry. This was to write an art, like an expose. On oh, that? it was just a. It was just hanging out with my with a with an old D and D buddy who was going to help someone write an expose to because if you go to LA you see these Scientologists they wear this uniform all over the place mm-hmm. so this guy and this guy really smart dude like way smarter than me but you know spiritually he was he, he was lost and but this guy dedicated his life to playing Dungeons and Dragons and I got roped into it and you know eventually I started I started to uh, distance myself from it and. I had falling out with him and his roommate. And that's when I realized there was a huge, there was a huge like realization. Like, Gabe, what, what are you doing? Wasting your time playing all these games. Like mm-hmm. you're an adult. What, how old are I? 26 to 27. I'm like, I got to change something. Mm-hmm. So I'm someone, and this is an important stuff because, so I stepped because of this, I started to explore other avenues to, for out and outlets. That's why I'm like in the searching phase. So I get into um, a couple of things at the same time. I started exploring the nightlife. Mm, didn't go too far, but that always coincides with uh, experimenting with drugs. So I started experimenting like, like 25 to 26. You know, my personality isn't really suited to that kind of stuff, but I gave it a shot. And at the same time, I came across uh, Jordan Peterson. And toward, after imbibing a ton of Jordan Peterson, I, I got into some Jonathan Pajot, but not before I started under Jordan Peterson's environment. And because I, I think this needs to be brought up. Uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, he promotes psychedelics and he was the main reason I was interested in getting into psychedelics. So I came across a, a acquaintance of mine, like, yeah, acquaintance of mine who turned out to be a drug dealer who sold acid and he can get, and, you know, was really into e- EDM. I went to an EDM concert called Nightmare. Um, fun experiences, uh, horrifying, but fun <laughs> is of being tripped out of my mind in, in, in a huge field with a bunch of what do they call them wooks i don't know if that's if that's a still like contemporary uh, terminology but wooks and edm which is just it's like it's like robot music it's 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 even more derogatory than dubstep um no 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 offense to you dubstep heads um so at this point i'm i'm i'm, I'm going in i'm going in hard and and i'm i'm starting to at the same time, contradictory, I'm starting to get into Jonathan Peugeot's symbolics world. And he he's an you know orthodox iconographer. 
riding off the piggy through the, the, the coattails of coattails of Jordan Peterson, what he's doing, he's trying to scoop up as much of that fan base as he can into orthodoxy. Yeah. And um and it's like starting to echo. I'm like, you know, I th- I actually remember this before I, I really committed, I, I decided to step into um step into a Greek, a Greek parish that's not far from me. Um, but it was Greek. Everything was in Greek and I kn- knew next to nothing about orthodoxy still. So it didn't really sound off. Also, they tried to ask me if I was Greek and I managed to dodge the question, but you know, <laughs> that didn't make me comfortable. I can, pa- I think I can pass for a Greek guy. <laughs> I- ironically, I did see someone, I did see someone, um, I did see someone I met before in that parish, but that's another story. Uh, they might've been asking you that to find out if you understood Greek because of the liturgies in Greek. Maybe. Actually from, from what I, from in this area in that particular parish, you know, um, it's kind of well known, like in Jersey, we got a lot of Greeks here. Um, they, they, they run all the diners. They're great diners, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. And, but the, it's kind of well known that there's a strong ethno, ethnophilatism here with the Greeks in this region where I have here and here in the East coast. Okay. So um, that's even I've talked to other people and it's it's confirmed. They always I think uh, I have a I have a, an older friend uh, in my in my older parish, and she says, you know, if you want to go to a Greek parish, you know, they'll you know you go up to the candle stand and they'll ask you if you're Greek and you just smile until they move on. Uh. <laughs> so that's the part of the process. But um, yeah, uh, there's a point where all all this all this going on. You know what I'm I'm doing is it fits into it. Uh, this whole idea of reinvent, reinventing myself from getting out from being basically a, a nerd who, who realized that lifestyle wasn't rewarding. Um, I'm, I'm reading um, like pickup artistry and stuff like that. And I'm failing miserably at it. Can't, I can't, I can't, I'm not popular with the ladies at all. Um, so what this all culminates doing psychedelics and getting into the drug scene and going to the party scene and stuff like that is I start visiting yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out with my buddies and we, we decided to go visit. I'm going to use very specific terminology here. A den of ill repute to satisfy my lust, where you pay money to satisfy your lust. Mm-hmm. Um, the details can be left up your imagination. It is both not as bad as you think and both worse than you think. Right. So and um, I satisfied my lust as I wanted to. And the conclusion was I wanted to die. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's. <laughs> you get what does they say be careful what you ask for because you might just you just might get it. well i got what i wanted and it it was horrible yeah. so that's when i hit kind of rock bottom and it's funny like i i and i was addicted to these places i could i was into these relationships uh, toxic relationships that i developed through these places and like i i wanted to stop but i couldn't and well, there's this I I understand. I mean, not from a personal experience, but the idea of having these beautiful women giving you tons of attention and, and it seems like they really like you. And so it's like this fantasy of what could be. And, and so and that I, was got, like I got like your ego bad news because I actually did get personally involved with these ladies, like beyond the whole element. I mean, like I had a, I had a witness who came over and he's like, Whoa, like you, no, this person actually like I like this is this because I met them outside, you know, with no money involved. And it's even worse because oh. you're getting involved in somebody. First of all, these, is pe- these are people that are, you're getting involved mm-hmm. in something that's from the ground up based on lust. It's not healthy mm-hmm. and it's oof, so toxic. So it's mm-hmm. it's like guys go there wanting to penetrate past the personal wall and get foot behind there. And it's nothing but a bunch of tragedy you know, for everybody involved, you know, so, and 
So you, you even if you get past the fee, it's just like you're better off just sticking to the fantasy because mm-hmm. then it won't it won't spill into something even deeper. Um, Before we go past, because you you kind of rushed past the psychedelic part. Oh, you know? um, and I I have a lot of guests that have had a period of their lives, and including myself where we experimented and explored and opened, you know, like did the whole consciousness exploration thing. And it, and for a lot of people, it takes them from atheism to some kind of belief in some higher power. For some people, it takes them from being Christian into being total pagans. I mean, and then I know people who actually, went to Christianity from being pagan for years and years and years on one trip. But um, I'm just curious, did it, did you have spiritual experiences or like, what were, what were your experiences like? And and again, I just want to say to the audience, this is not to create any kind of um, interest in my audience toward doing psychedelics. In fact, Disclaimer, we, we Orthodox don't don't touch this stuff. No. And it's, it's people can, you know, I think uh, you mentioned it in the previous interview, it opens up people to the spiritual realm. And so it's, it's it can be equated to uh, the equivalent of modern day sorcery. You don't want to mess with this stuff, especially Orthodox. And if you have messed with it as an Orthodox, you got you, you better confess it. Um, so there mm, let's say this. I was starting to open up because I was when I was when I joined the Masons, I said, basically, I'm a perennial. I'll believe in a generic idea of a deity. I did actually believe in that. Um, I think I'm like, oh, yeah, I believe in Buddha, uh, which is actually not. He's not a god. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, like I didn't know at the time. And, you know, the idea of that, you just kind of know that, like, the, like I mentioned, like, the atheist position didn't last. So I kind of was forced out of the atheist position just out of my heart because just it just it's just being into in, in a vac empty vacuum. By the time I started messing out with um, psychedelics, the only I took two psychedelics. I did acid, which just made you feel weird, and um, and and it's contemplative. It's very. It's not. That's not a party drug, you know. I went to I went to some pretty crazy uh, uh, con- uh, concerts, and the the mosh pits are fun. I'll admit the mosh pits are fun. Uh, getting shoved around uh, almost broke my hand. <laughs> but um and, but you and, didn't break your hand that would yes have been yes very fun. but you know like i'm over here in the mosh pit i'm thinking about you know like you know i'm like thinking did i offend my co-worker earlier today yeah like, right. like, like it's it's and it's and it kind of struck me i'm like you know and oh, like the, the, the some people have a it's like you need a strong ego to be able to withstand that and you have this you can have disastrous results i had a, a buddy of mine who was close to me he would take it and he couldn't function in a party setting. It, it was, it, he was, it was too intense. I had to be, I had to be the, the chaperone and I had to make sure he was okay. And there's times where I just had to take him to the rooftop to look at the stars because he couldn't handle the crowds mm-hmm. and other, and other such horrors. You know, I had a buddy who, who another buddy, the guy who introduced me to this stuff. He's like, Hey, you're doing pretty good. Gabe. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm doing pretty good. He's like, look, he's like, I'll give you an example. I knew a guy we, we, we took him, we took him to his festival like this. And I gave him, I gave him a master. So we ended up missing in the woods for like two days. He came back partway through the festival. He's like, bro, bros, I sold my pants and I'm really sorry. And then he goes back into the woods for another day to go missing. And like people lose their minds and stuff that I did on the stuff was not good either. It just was a a little more functional. I actually like ended up locking my, my, my tent mates in the tent in a, in, in an insane drive to go pursue this 
drug dealing woman that I thought was pretty. Um, oh my goodness, Gabe. It was crazy stuff. <laughs> anyway, so. I thought you were going to tell me something like. No, I can. I'm getting into it. I'm getting into <laughs> okay. it. I'm just giving you the right idea here. I'm sorry to get the details. So a lot of the stuff okay. just is, like, by the way, this is a waste of time. I did mushrooms. So I had an experience with mushrooms and it was mushrooms along with um, uh, weed, um, marijuana on uh, through a volcano. So that specific that, that specific combination. Uh, we came across a, a, a volcano is like a bag, right? It like fills up with the smoke and then you, yeah, I think it's like the, it's like a certain machine, like this guy who this dude who I never met before invited us to his place. And he's like, Oh, we're going to be like, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be like puffing out of this volcano, which is like some kind of like science machine. I don't know what it is. Like people who really, I don't, I'm not a weed head, so I don't yeah. really know. Right. It's like, you know, I think that's the last time I did weed, which is like four or five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And basically what he said, what it does is it kind of slows down and magnifies the effect of the mushrooms. And um, so we did that in this place. And um, I had a very strong reaction. You know, all that trippy imagery with like kaleidoscopal colors, the, the tie dye, you, you see like a hippie stuff and all that eye imagery, all that stuff started to appear all over the place for me. And I basically went into a, it's like, it's like, what is it? Kind of, it's like in a shaky state. I've told these guys like, Hey, I'm, I'm tired. Let me go rest. So I want to go rest while constantly shaking. I don't remember where my eyes are open or closed. And I basically had an out-of-body experience. Oh, no. And the conclusion that I had from the out-of-body experience was it was confirmation. It could be pre-less, but I felt it was confirmation to me that if, uh, even if I die and lose my conscious, my body, my consciousness would not fade. So and thus committing suicide would be a pointless endeavor. Because it felt like I was going all over the place while I was laying down on a sofa, twitching, twitching my guts out. And um, there's other 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 in- in instances that I can or other examples I can relate to. But when I got back, all the people who I had a, a negative impression of, I, I kind of felt like there's no reason to hold a grudge against these people. I don't know whether that's anything meaningful or not but you know the pre-less is a big thing in orthodoxy but i i i do feel like i experienced what it was to have a conscious outside of the body and realizing like oh you can't really escape existing even if you destroy your body which is orthodox so that's the closest thing i that's probably the most profound thing i had going on uh as far as dead experience goes i think that was might be the the last or the last significant experience i had with psychedelics um can you and tell the audience who doesn't know the term pre-lest what, what it is? Pre-lest is, is spiritual delusion. So, oh man, like Kotal has a great stream on this where he's, he said he was, he was, he was uh, doing some type of psychedelics and he has like a, he has a resistance to it. He mentions like when he does heavy stuff, like he doesn't lose his mind at all. Mm-hmm. Or at least doesn't go into whole different realms. So he, he was doing, he's like late night doing a, he sees it, he closes, he turns off the lights, he sits in the corner of the room and stares and like meditates, whatever. And he had this episode where he, he felt like, oh, I'm going to go into this university, university X, Y, and Z, and then I'm going to marry Mary Jane. She's going to be my wife. And then he goes and proceeds to text her 
about his future of going to X, Y, and Z. His streams are good. Got to go check it out. X, Y, and Z University and Mary, Mary Jane, the love of his life, his, his ex-girlfriend of his that he hasn't contacted in like six to like, I think one year or two. And, you know, when he when he gets out of his his, his stupor, he looks at his cell phone and he's just like, what, what did I text this woman? Oh, no. And then he, he applies to that school and he flunks out. He doesn't, he doesn't, they doesn't flunk. He doesn't make the, he doesn't make the qualification. Then he says that was pre-lust. What he thought was a premonition of the future was delusion. Oh my gosh. I can relate to that so much. <laughs> wow. So nothing, I never had anything so grandiose as that. Mm. Everything that I do is low level stupidity and uh, <laughs> risk of my bodily health. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was shown, so many visions that I believed were premonitions. Well, you were doing my- you were doing DMT and that's heavy stuff, right? I, yeah. I ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I've never like the mushrooms were the most intense thing I ever I ever taken. I almost did DMT, but alas, I was I wasn't able to purchase it. So well, DMT, if you smoke it by itself, that's the most intense thing. Uh. When you drink ayahuasca, it's much more of a slow, long journey rather than like a quick one that feels like an eternity, but it's really only a couple minutes. Whereas ayahuasca lasts many hours, but it's not as, it's not as like crazy. I mean, it can, it can get crazy, but okay. So if there's nothing else, cause I think we've, I think we've exhausted the topic of psychedelics. I want to get to your, to what brought you, like what you love about orthodoxy, how that conversion happened. I, I would say let's use let's use uh, let's speak back off like Jonathan Pajot's work, you know, the symbolic world, basically that there's patterns in reality. And when you recognize these patterns, they are um, they are flowing from basically the pattern that God created the world. You know, it's basically a more precise variation of and I guess more accurate variation of, of, of Carl Jung's archetypes, you know, and when you when you say there's an actual. Because I haven't, I haven't consumed Jonathan Padua's content in a long time. Um, but if you if you follow certain steps in reality, you will bring order to your life. Remember, that's a big Jordan Peterson order and chaos, order and chaos. And Jonathan would be like, you know, you start follow, live your life with specific intentions, and you and you and you pursue order. You'll you will structure your life into into order. So I mean, I, you're talking to a guy who originally joined the Orthodox Church believing in evolution. So I was still in that transitory phase, you know, I was making fun of, you know, grandpa, you know, right? My ancestor, <laughs> my grandfather. I love that meme. Return to monkey. And, you know, I when I got into the symbolic, the symbolic uh, world and the symbolic language and he and wanting to live, live it out and seeing the the ethics have a palpable effect on one's how the ones interpret their life and one's structures their life. You know, I, I kind of felt compelled. I'm like, you know, and, and at this point I hit the lowest, I hit the lowest I've ever been, you know, uh, indulging in sin, not being able to pull out. And as they say, people who sinners like with converts, you know, you know, as converts are zealous, right. And they, and I think I learned this from Jay Dyer. He said that it's people who, who know sin, who are, who are closest to God because they understand that sin is death. And I knew like I was dying. So oh my gosh, I, I relate to that so much. Yeah. So <laughs> at this point, here's the key thing. When you, when, when Jonathan Padre, I'm looking, I'm listening and Jonathan Padre mentions, well, you know, you, we have English speaking churches called the OCA. I'm like, boom, like, that's it. Go to a church where it's not tied to ethnicity and mm-hmm. speaks the English language. Um, you know, and 
I looked up the, o, the nearest OCA parish to mine and I went there and, uh, you know, oh, I, I, I went for, how long was I got that parish? For like two years, I think. And, you know, yeah, it, it's, that's, that's where, that's what, what brought me in consuming a lot. At that point, by the time I started going, I started getting into Jay Dyer and I started, you know, coming across like ancient freight radio, Thomas Hopko. This is when this is when the big revive the big like or internet 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 orthodoxy started taking off. But when I re when I started making these these the the when everything in the Bible and the orthodox presentation started making sense, um, things started started lining up in my life spiritually, and eventually, you know, I managed to overcome my addiction to these dens of ill repute. Um, and I'm telling you, I, I would go there and I didn't want to go there. It's like I was doing things I didn't, but I eventually I broke the addiction and I haven't been there as the beginning of my, uh, you know, orthodox journey. So mm-hmm. it, it had a palpable, pal- big palpable effect. And then, you, you know, it's just everything just it's I know it's kind of on the on the vague side, but it, it, there, there, it, I realized that the only the best way to describe the world and even my personal experience I came to understand was through the biblical orthodox worldview. Mm-hmm. And the more I digged into it, the more it would give me. And, you know, my original problem problem with the Protestant was like, man, it's paper thin. It's like, I, I get the, I, I like the, the ethics and stuff like that, but like, where's the history? Where's the theology? Where's the philosophy? And when you go to orthodoxy, it's like a tidal wave. It's too yes. much. It's literally too much. You can't <laughs> do it all. There's, there's, yeah. People whose lives are nothing but translating and creating works who are the monks and the monks and the nuns, they, this is what they do. And it's just, we have a lot in you in the United States and there's just so much stuff that's not even translated. Yeah. So it really bit into my, my, my philosophical, my burgeoning philosophical interest in, in brain. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, from that point, it just took a life on its own. It, it, I eventually came across, uh, there's this great talk. I do want to bring it up. But Jay Dyer had these early Genesis talks. And he would point out uh, very strictly, because this is probably the biggest paradigm shift I had ever since, which got me to be in line with the church fathers. He points out like, hey, look, do you know when Jesus mentions Adam and Eve, he's talking about literal people. He talks about them as historical, literal people, mm-hmm. which was which was, oh yeah, this, this is the biggest tone shift I've ever had, I think, in my life, where I'm just like, wait a minute. Like, we actually did come from one guy? And then the more you learn about, like, you, you know, I have a hobby of going into conspiracy realm. If you know Jay Dyer, it's all about conspiracy and, and Hollywood and stuff like that. And there's, there's a certain element where you start looking at the, the, the conspiracies that happen in the modern day and the conspiracies that happen in the Bible and how it lines up spiritually. And you realize, you're like, wait a minute. like we're in the Bible right now. Like this is the new Testament. Like it's not like some kind of fantasy world that was locked off in, in, in a portal and distance path. Like you go back 2000 years to the right place. You're going to find Jesus walking around, you know? And it's like, and that world that he's walking around, the same world that Noah was hanging out with mm-hmm. the same, but that Moses was hanging out with you can go to their sites. You can see, you can see Sodom and Gomorrah, the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah to this day, which is crazy. I, I saw a documentary on that. So it's, like when I realized, like wait, 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 like that the Bible is literally a history book. Not it's not just a history book, but it actually is. Then oh, it just it just put up a whole life of its own, and you see yeah. it, it's yeah, just it snowballs to the point where like you see, I'm failing to be able to describe my experience because there's just too much at once. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I before I was Christian and 
certainly before I was interested in orthodoxy, I would pass by the parish that I go to now. I used to own a store right across the street from it. And I, and we have a bookstore out in front on the street. And I used to think, how can there be an entire book? How, like, what is a Christian bookstore anyway? Don't they just read the Bible? Like, isn't it just about the Bible? I had no idea. And now, I mean, I go in there and I just want everything. And I, yeah. I only spend my money on Orthodox books. And, and you're right. It's just like this, it's overwhelming. And it's then, um, and I know, I know probably some people, and my audience are typing this out right now, how when you're newly converted, you're not supposed to like read a lot. You're supposed to be praying and going to liturgy and stuff. Don't worry, guys. I'm doing that too. I have a lot of time on my hands to do all of it. So I have one person who wrote a comment on almost all my videos. I know he's being very, trying to be very helpful, but um, I know that prayer and confession and being part of the community and going to liturgy and Vespers and all that stuff is like the number one thing. But I also really love my Orthodox books. This is like a third or a quarter of the books that I have. And believe me, I have plenty of time in my day to get it all done. So don't worry about me, please. Thanks. <laughs> I do want to throw a special mention to uh, fasting and I want to, I want to, oh, yeah, yeah, I do yeah. want to, um, you know, people meet me probably meet me now and they think, oh, this guy's a breed devote dude. I want to put in perspective, I always put this to tell people like when they're trans converting and they're getting into the fasting. My first Pascha, the only fast I did was no alcohol. That's all I could manage, uh -huh. you know, for the first two Pascha's. So it took me that long. And then the first fast I tried to do properly, I completely bombed. It was a dormition fast. And all I did was eat salad and bagels and I hit the gym anyway. So literally like bread and bagel, uh, bread and salad, like that's it. And as you can imagine, hitting the gym, uh, I almost killed myself. Like, it was like, man, you know, like I'm not actually starving, but like I'd hit the gym the first time, like, oh yeah, my body's fine, but it wouldn't recover with that diet. And so I hit the, the bar, I'm like, couldn't happen. So take for, it easy. For new people, could you, because I actually haven't talked about fasting in any of my interviews mm. and I'm because I'm so new, I mean, I know a little bit about it, but can you share with the audience why we fast? Yeah. So the days that we fast, typically there's like four major uh, uh, fasting periods, but throughout the week, we, uh, we typically fast Wednesdays and Fridays, Wednesdays and remember there's two reasons actually. Well, one reason is uh, we don't, we don't. So the, the Jews, uh, I think from the old Testament times uh, or perhaps, you know, modern times, they fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So one of the elements that we decided to do Wednesdays and Fridays is just so we don't coincide with them. The other element was because this, this coincides Wednesday was the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. So it's kind of like we fasten as a, as a, you know, like a, this recall that, that painful time. And then Friday is, is a fast for, to commemorate the uh, crucifixion of Jesus, which happened on a Friday, you know, and obviously Sunday, the third day, Lord's day. So that's that's our basic uh, fasting, and you know, let me let me let me grab a prop here one moment. <laughs> and it's not always like a fast. So like we... I got me here a calendar. And, and uh, Gabriel, quick, it's not like it's not um, fasting from everything, right? It's like no. oils. I was meat. actually going to get point point there. So there's oh, certain great. days here on my calendar. It's like uh, there's like a fish here, but there's no fish there. There's a fish here. There's a, a bunch of grapes here. 
So depending on what, um, what's, what calendar the church is following and what day it is, we'll be fasting from, uh, there's a couple of things we're always fasting from uh, on these days. Always fasting from meat, meat and dairy. Those are the big guys. And in this context, in the Orthodox context, uh, egg is a part of the dairy. Um, so we never eat those on fasting days. Then there is a, let's go, we'll let's say like the lightest version of variation of that, where we just fast from those two and we can eat fish, um, invertebrates, drink wine, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. The second mo mo uh, most uh, strict version is so kind of in between what most days fall under, I think, is uh, wine and oil days where we can cook with wine and enjoy the light alcoholic, uh, alcoholic beverages, you know, and have oil. Um, various jurisdictions and locations take some liberties with what you mean by oil. Like, for example, if, 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 you're, if you're really strict in a monastery, they might, they actually, there's a story about the Sarah, Father Sarah from Rose where they wouldn't eat peanut butter because it had the oil separation. But that's not the type of oil that they mean, right? And it's it, it's it's a cute story where Father Sarah from Rose to get the the, the the monks to chill out started eating it, and all the goop would come out of the out of and he took a bite of sandwich. He's like, Father, the oil. And he's like, Oh, it's not oil, it's peanut juice. And they get they kind of get like, okay, we're being we're being a little too you know legalistic. Legalistic, yeah. So it's that's cute. Primarily, how I think like that's like the OCA model, which I kind of like. It's like they interpret alcohol broadly um like as like wine like wine and beer uh, but they they're specific with the oil so it's like only not cooking with olive oil but then there's you some people use coconut oil to get by but it depends it's really like this is a personal thing spiritual father is going to be telling you to do some fasting like come on <laughs> but like it but how strict you want to be so the most strictest days is no wine no oil no dairy no fish um no meat um just like bread and veggies so like you can have like even like depending how strict you want to be like you're restricted to hummus something like that like bread and hummus uh i eat peanut butter that's my that's my go-to today's a fasting day actually so it's and today is a is a wine and oil day so i can i can have i'm gonna have beer later <laughs> so but you know like um but that that's it varies and then the four feast the four feast you got lent which is the big boy then you got the oh boy the dormition which is you know the the, the you know the, the passing away of mary mm -hmm. i think there's an apostles fast and i i think there's one for christmas you know like, oh, uh, yeah. in in catechism class we learned about eight well, yeah there's there's, there's a several but there's there's like four big boys the I big think. one mm -hmm. like, like, yeah there's you see oh, this is all this is, this is december it's all like red like oh. that's the entire month i don't know what this fast is called entry of the theotokos in the temple no i'm sorry i'm terrible when it comes to the specifics i just i just look at my calendar i'm like yeah. oh it's a it's a fast day cool oh well um, i need to order one of those for for next year does your parish not offer it this is like from my parish oh, maybe ask around and if, okay. if not, we, we got, we, there's websites where you can uh, review that, but it, the general for the newbies out there, when it comes to, you know, of course, the classic, listen to your priest, but generally speaking, you want to go slow. Yeah. It took me like a year to two years to start eventually getting comfortable because mm -hmm. if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to mm -hmm. fall flat on your face. And if you fall flat on your face, you're going to be discouraged from going further. So right. slow is slow is best. That's what I've been told too. That's why I'm not even fasting yet. I'm only... I've I've only been in catechumen for a couple like three months or something. So fasting yeah. isn't part of our catechesis yet, I guess. <laughs> Good. But um 
you mentioned Father Seraphim Rose, and yes. I know you have some books you wanted to share. Yes. With us. Yes. So, so, so I uh, mentioned this. Um, we got here. I got three Father Seraphim Rose, no, two Father Seraphim Rose books and a. Oh, I got my order messed up. That's okay. Two Father Seraphim Rose books and um, a, a companion book. And I like to call these this trio. It's like my intro to orthodoxy trio. And I, I've, I've loved this introduction, these, these books so much that I've, I buy pur- multi- purchase multiple uh, copies and hand them out to inquirers and catechumens if they have enough interest, because it's just, they're so useful. Um, and I'll start with uh, this guy. So this is God's Revolution revelation into the human heart it's a very very short easy read and it's the main question is and it tells you this directly is that the the belief in god and whether you want to follow god or not doesn't stem from the intellectual i mean this book covers the intellectual and he 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 destroys the argument for like the non-belief of god and basically in two sentences so if he does it that easily it can't be that hard of a question so it's so he points out it's not about your brain it's not about the arguments you you want to you want to get schooled on that watch someday day dire he'll teach you all about the transcendental argument for the existence of god and it's not hard to once you figure out atheists are easy to blow up but he what he tells you directly here is it's a movement of the heart and he i give a i'll give a little anecdote he gives a story here where there's a guy who in the right in the russian gulags he you know, back when Soviet Union took over, he would go to the gulags and we all know how unjust the Soviet Union was. And he would look at the at the Christians and he would say the, the, the believing Christians who were sincere in their belief, they're the only ones who had any spirit in the gulags, that they were friendly, they were social, they were able to be the pillars of, of their prison communities. And he saw that and he's just like, man, there's something true there. However, Something inside of him could not accept God. And when he got out, he said he said he permitted this. He, he predicted he's like, I'm probably when I get out, I'll probably just curse at those who who put me in here in the first place. And I'll end up getting locked up again and not not develop any, any at all. And he turned out to be true. He just couldn't let God into his heart. So it, it's not. So you, you, and this is another thing. A lot of people don't actually understand that it's not it's not intellectual, yeah. you know, and. So it's, 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 and this, and it's interesting because the book tells you as the reader, it tells you straight up, Hey, this is the primary uh, uh, obstacle you have. So, and it, it's such a, like the second, I've read this about twice, maybe three times. Do you think I would, I would read it more, but like the second, I think the third time I read it, I actually feel like my heart softening. It's such a beautiful word. Um, I've also heard this photo of Paul Sarah from Rose on it is him reposed. Yeah. I need a confirmation on that. Cause that's stunning. I if he's him reposed, it's, it's such a peaceful expression. So yep. Um, big Paul Sarah from Rose fan. I have all the way back there. I have an icon of him back there. I think oh, he's nice. a saint. Nice. So uh, that's that's book number one. I'm going to skip Nylon for now. I'll go straight to the indication is the way of heaven. How this typically works is, you know, we talk about the heart and if it appeals to you, we'll talk about the ethos, the method of and the purpose. The purpose of, of orthodoxy is to, well, how do you get into heaven? Well, this is the book that tells you how to do it. You know, yeah, the Bible is liturgical thing and it'll tell you too but this is this is like the skimming you know getting getting to the brass tacks and how how you can actually practically get in there my favorite thing is towards the end of the book that made me realize that this was a, a kicker is it, it, it lists like a couple of bullet points it's written about it's written by saint innocent so the apostle to america uh equal to the apostles and it's like a, a segment towards the end where he where he starts bringing out some like quick tips of like 
bullet points of what you really need to be doing to keep yourself on the straight and narrow. So it's kind of like a, a like a instruction manual. Like, well, well, how do I carry myself? And like, I think the fourth one here is where he, where he says, uh, no, 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 it's not the fourth one. It's like some, some, something like seventh or eighth when he points out, you need a job. <laughs> like unexpectedly, he's like, if you're not keeping yourself busy, like productive, you know, not a job, but like, let's say if you're a housewife, clean the house. If you're, if you're, if you're a homemaker, go make the home whatever you need to be busy you need to be productive if you're not productive it's hard to be spiritual in an effective, effective manner and it's kind of like counterintuitive like well shouldn't i pray and stuff like even the monks work that's all i really do the, like the monks and the nuns they work and they pray they work and they pray so when you break down to the most basic aspects of the of, of, of humanity when it comes to uh, the ethos of orthodoxy you're doing two things ideally working and praying so love that yeah, and he and he gets tons of more theology that nice light and digestible format and very easy to read. So fantastic intro. That those these two are for everybody. The third one is a little more. It's a little more for specific audiences. This is of course nihilism, the root of revolution in, of the modern age by Father Sarah from Rose. It, ta- it tackles the philosophical mindset of the modern day, of the contemporary times of. Um, all the philosophical um, issues that's going on, how they stack up, and um, the stages of nihilism. And there's a oh, this is there's it how how it was created. Actually, it was he had his masterpiece he's working his magnus opus, and he didn't complete before he passed. So they were going through his notes, and they basically found a chapter on nihilism. And they just said, "We got to make this new into a book." They grabbed it, and he has an, an additional fantastic follow up uh, on the end of it called the philosophy of the absurd which is there's like i think my favorite like paragraph is from there so this is for the brain this is for you, you, you smart people it, it's like 80 pages is it 80 page how big is this it's like uh yeah it's like 120 okay that's pretty big 120 pages it took me like eight months to get through because yeah, the stuff I, is, I haven't finished it yet <laughs> and it's i bought heavy it stuff. a long time ago <laughs> so if, if yeah, i recommend you get i i got a, i got a notebook and i wrote down notes and stuff and you definitely want that I can just go back to the notes and um, and just be convicted. There's so much in my previous worldview that he criticizes in this and he decimates, completely decimates. And like this guy is this guy was like he was like Jay Dyer before the Internet. He was insane, like how smart he was. So and so that's those these trio is a very effective trio. The heart, the head and what you should actually be doing physically. So. And for anybody coming from the new age, I always recommend Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. Oh, yeah. And it's the most liked post on my Instagram grid because it's a very popular book. And so, yeah, I recommend that one, too. Also, also, especially if you it's a little more on the intense side, but he gives a devastating critique of Pentecostalism, like the like, woof, heavy stuff. That, that, and it's also a, another easy read. It's not easy if you're coming from Pentecostalism because the stuff that he says is brutal. But um, yeah, that's another. I've read that as well. I have that book too. But uh, the, only, the, only, the only thing. It, Life After Death is on my table over here. Is that what it's uh, called? Like the yes. Soul After Death. The yeah, Soul, the soul after, after Death, death which yeah. talks about the doctrine of, um, of, the, um, of the toll houses, which mm-hmm. is intense stuff. Um, if you want to, look, I know there's controversy regarding that. So I won't get too deep into it. Um, however, this this the I want to put out there. It's it's in our it's in our Orthodox services. 
So, you know, it, it, it's in our prayers. If, if you're if you're if you're doing prayers to the guardian angel, it's always mentions the toll houses because which is significant because when you're going through the toll houses, the guardian, your guardian angel is going with you. Uh, so let's say things like that. And if there's another element, you don't understand the significance of praying for the dead without the toll houses, toll house doctrine. It's tied right in there. And when you understand why that's done, um, you understand how important it is to pray for the dead and have people pray for you. And a, a lot of things like uh, Orthodox is like a jigsaw puzzle. And if you remove a, a certain element of it, you're going to do damage to the faith, especially the, the, the praying for the dead, because the whole element of, of our of our faith revolves around death, you know, which, yeah. you know, we, we, the guy, the guy who abolished death, death by death. But it's it's we have a very intimate understanding of uh, of the dead. And there's a reason we say memory, memory, memory eternal, because one element is you don't really think about this. But in the, because of is explained in the, in, the, in the toll houses. When you pass away, provided you don't quite make it where you need to go, what will help you get where you need to go is other people's prayers. Mm. You know, now if you're, you know, let's say you pray for Father Sarah from Rose, well, you know, there's strong contingencies who believe he's he's a saint already. Well, they say if you pray for a saint as if he's not a saint, you still get benefit from it. You get benefit from it. But if you, let's say, you, you pray for, let's say, my grandfather, we'll assume he's not a saint, right? Um, and he's he's in trouble. He needs help. You know, I'm praying for him. It'll help me and it helps him. Wow. And it only makes sense with the doctrine of the toll houses. So that's uh, that's my little spiel on that. Good thing you brought that up. You, you didn't know I knew about that, did you? <laughs> I love this is what I love about these interviews. I learned so much. So, yeah, thanks. And now I really want you to talk about your patron saint. Okay. And maybe some icons you wanted to show us. Yes, yes. There's, uh, there's one in the closet. I'll grab that afterwards because I consider that uh, the shining moment. But, you know, my name is Gabriel. My birth name is Gabriel. So when I converted and I uh, was baptized, I kind of haphazardly said, yeah, let's pick our Archangel Gabriel. Why not? You know, it was strange. So my my patron saint is the Archangel Saint Gabriel. He's a uh, He's one of the two uh, archangels that are commonly uh, that are well known. And you here's the here's the head haunt. I call him the head honcho. That's Archangel uh, Saint Michael. They're always they're always put as a pair. You, you look at an icon of stasis, you're always going to see these two guys up there yeah. um, do their role of the the uh, annunciation. I think so. Yeah, the annunciation of Theotokos. And uh, when 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 Jesus comes again, it's going he's going to be announced by Archangel Michael. Um, so what can I say about uh, my patron saint besides the fact that, you know, at first took me, it took me a little adjusting to read, you know, so I'm like, I'm like, huh, my patron saint isn't human. That's curious. Um, so that was a little, a little adjustment. Now that I'm, now that I'm, now that I'm well-versed in things like toll houses and guardian angels, you know, it's a lot more, a lot less strange to me, um, easy to comprehend. And um, as far as the archangels go, Outside of the, how they're generally considered is they're like the heads of the angel. So the angel angel is like a generic term for messenger. Um, so I think like in like the Old Testament, they're called Elohim, which is basically they're basically spiritual beings, noetic beings, beings without without a physical body. Um, and they actually it's interesting. So Old Testament times, did you know, they they did have images during the Old Testament time, but they weren't. Like they weren't, they didn't have the same use that we do today. 
right? And you know, if you go, so you check, read up the like, like the second temple, you know what's on the wall, the second temple, just like the saints cover our walls in the church today, covers the walls of the temple were like various cherubim, cherubim and seraphim, you know, these angelical beings. So when it, the reason that it changed to displaying the saints um, in, after, the, after the coming of Jesus is with the death and resurrection of Christ, it, it, it shows an elevation of the, of the human beings to be like angelic beings, you know? So it's, so they kind of reached that status of, of angelic or like divine creatures. Now we're not in our glory yet. It's after the resurrection, we're going to fully, but the saints are already like, like that. So when the saints pass away, they go to heaven, they get uh, enlightened by the, the by the uh, divine uh, energies and they become like angels in fact on that note i got one more i forgot about this prop but pardon me speaking of that that's why we have this particular symbology with the icon of saint uh john the uh saint john the baptist the forerunner he's always portrayed with having angel wings no he didn't actually have angel wings when he walked around it's supposed to be elevated like he he lived like an angel on earth so it's kind of a, it's like an ascension of sorts. So that's what he, we will become and even surpass the arc, the angels and the archangels. The archangels are big, they're big deals, big, big deals. If you pay attention during some of the uh, descriptions of the angels in the Old Testament, you know, they're responsible for like the dictations of countries and wars and things like that. These, these spiritual beings, they, they have a big influence in our lives. You know our, our most our most intimate relationship with them in my, my my context the patron saint but also everyone who's orthodox in general is their guardian angel and so the patron saints i mean the archangels are just like they're kind of like generals in fact one of one of the archangels and i know it's not specific to to uh gabriel but you'll get the gist of it here i'm going to list the seven because most people orthodoxy we accept seven archangels as canonical three of them show up in orthodox uh, uh the orthodox bible Four of them, I think, in the Vulgate, there's a fourth one, and I have those four here. I think that there's, there's a association with the cardinal directions, but you know, four. I like the number four. And then there's three more who don't show up and won't show up in scripture, but are accepted as canonical. So we have, I'll list them out: Archangel Michael, Archangel Gabriel. Now, this next one has a special significance to me personally, even though he's not my patron saint. I know it's odd. Archangel Raphael. I think. If I had a, if my family had a, a patron, like a familial patron saint for the entire family line, it'd be this guy. Cause so many people in my family are named Raphael, including my older brother and my father, my great grandmother just keeps going up. So, so many people named Raphael and, and then the, and he, he's, he's in the book of Tobit. He's surfing on a fish and he, he gives, he gives Tobit like medical advice. So he's, if you can see me, he's depicted with a, uh, like a medicine box, like St. Pantaleon. And we have this little less lesser known saint, but still an archangel. We got Archangel Saint Uriel, who is I think that translates into um oh they have names, they have meanings, but this means like fire of God. He has a very he's a lot more popular in the Catholic Church because he's in the Vulgate, um, which is the, the basically the Latin version of the Bible, which um, Saint Jerome made. Um, and then the three more are Barakil, Salafil, and Jugadil. And one of these guys of the, those last three, I forget which one, they all have specific jobs, but one of them is the, like the head general of all of the guardian angels specifically, which is pretty cool. I'm like, Whoa, I didn't know that. I so, didn't either. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know any of that. 
Oh yeah, yeah. So, unfortunately, it's hard to get a lot of information on these saints. Like, for example, if you go, like, uh, you know what akathists are? Arth, I guess it's a type of prayer. Like, it takes like a half hour to do. You can do an akathist to like the akathist to theotokos. Like, so if you like a particular saint, check online. They have an akathist, and you can pray that akathist as a big long prayer to that saint. You know, so saints are, Saint Michael has an akathist. It's very easy to get your hands on in English. So that's a fantastic way to like get used to a saint or get familiar with him. Unfortunately, even though Saint Gabriel is very well known, popular, he's always in the iconostasis. So you're always going to see him somewhere in the Orthodox Church. He doesn't have an archivist in English that I can find. So you know, it's 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 kind of it's I'm making do praying to him. Do do the, I do the prayer rope and I have a little card that has a prayer for him. Oh, I do have one last thing because we'll get into his big shining moment. Besides, oh, yeah. you know, he show he showed up originally, I think in. The book of Daniel, and just to a testament of how holy uh, the archangels are, especially an archangel like that. Uh, like Daniel could hardly stand in his presence; like, he couldn't even stand up. He was tremoring, was shaking, he was breaking into a cold sweat. Just being in his presence messed him up. And uh, I have this one uh, icon of his shining moment. I'll just take this moment to thank you for liking this video. Uh, this icon is a. This icon is a uh, is a depiction of the Annunciation. It's gold. It looks kind of it looked kind of old and busted, but this standing figure, it, and he looks kind of uh, the art style is a little strange. But the standing figure is Archangel Gabriel announcing to Theotokos, uh, you know, how she's going to bear Christ mm -hmm. and asking her if she accepts yeah. his duty. This is and he, the, oh. the Theotokos and Archangel Gabriel have a relationship because. You know, beyond beyond the fact that, uh, you know, just for you guys who don't understand how how holy Mary was, unlike Daniel, like Mary was as, as cool as a cucumber in front of this guy. And and and, she, and he showed reverence to her. So it just shows how the closer we are to God, the more we can withstand his 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 energy, basically. So when when he when 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 the when Jesus passed away. Orthodox tradition says that it was Archangel Gabriel who informed Mary, your son's going to rise again. It's not in the Bible, but it is part of Orthodox tradition. You'll hear that about one of the feast days they bring that up. So that's his. That's what he's most well known for, and that's what's being depicted when he's on the iconostasis, when he's on one side as opposed to the other side. Um, and yeah, I mean, Archangel Gabriel is, uh, what does it mean? It means man of God. Um, unfortunately, I, forget. I think this Michael means sword of God or warrior of God. So man of God, that's Gabriel. Raphael is the healing of God. You know, you know, it's the L, Gabriel, Raphael, Michael, Uriel, you know, Uriel is a fire, fire of God. So it's, it's, uh, they're interesting, interesting. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I just dig looking into the, the archangels. It's kind of like, I kind of fell into, because it's a name I was given. So, and they, there's a relationship because look, I'm Gabriel. My brother's Raphael. There's my, there's my father. And my father is the guy who named us. He doesn't know anything about the angels. <laughs> coincidental look at that right and no one in my name is name is named gabriel but the raphael's a re reoccurring name so i just because of that i just took special interest with them decided to take it as my saint's name and i i get in this little niche that a lot of people don't really get into which is the archangels which are the kind of a kind of like a a, a well-kept secret in orthodoxy yeah <coughs> excuse me so that, that covers my uh my my little talk about it, the patron saint and you have i mean we can Maybe next time we can talk about the other icons if you want to come back to my show. But I see you have a lot of them. Where do you find those? 
Oh man, I, I get them all over the place. Um, I'm gonna take a quick scan to see if there's anything. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, I said my my number one is uh Orthodox. What is it? Uncut Mountain Press. So there's that UMS in the back of there. Um, the and it's you know the the two. I got this. I'll show you the. I'll show you the Theotokos. It's, it's a gorgeous icon that comes from Greece, Mount Athos. There's a one second. Join. Oh, oh, there we go. Uh, so, this guy comes from Greece. I don't recommend you do that unless you want to pay, spend a lot of money. Oh, that is beautiful, though. On uh, on the shipping, you know, the, the price is just about standard. I mean, the the, the the wood quality is a little less standard, and it's like I kind of store. It. I'll send you a link if you're curious. But again, like, don't don't splurge because the shipping, international shipping, isn't isn't is no joke. But if you're gonna if you're gonna go splurge an icon, Theotokos and Christ, you can't go wrong with either of those two. They're the they're they're the reason they're set up on the top of my icon corner. Um, and there's so many there's so many like legacy icons. Their quality is less good, but you know it's still nice. You know I'm not I got a couple I got a couple of uh, you know you have John Proby here, so you know what I'll, I'll go ahead and turn the camera. Let's see, can you see? Yeah, you can't really see them that well, but yeah. those two uh-huh. are two John Proby icons. Yeah. So uh, I'm, that one in particular is uh, the Mystical Supper. I love that icon. You know, it's it's there's just all of, if you use a monastery, sometimes monasteries have icon shops associated with them. Mm-hmm. I got one under my doorway. Who's um, Saint Saint Moses the Hungarian? Not a lesser known Saint Moses. I, in the corner there, I also have Saint Moses the Black beating up like four guys, his former pupil, his former uh, 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 thievesman, mm-hmm. who he related converts. So. <laughs> if you need links, I can provide all of them for you. Yeah. The price range. And also I want to point this out because some I have like a paper icon. An icon is an icon no matter whether it's on paper or it's on wood. So if you if you want to go budget, like let you go to legacy icon, look at icon cards, they're like two dollars, they're good quality. In fact, my guardian angel icon, I'll show it to you for on a topic real quick. Guardian angel icon. A little prayer book for the garden angel here and because i don't have any space and because i don't want to spend any more money a two dollar icon card so you don't have to break the bank you go you technically if you want you could draw your own icons and put them on the wall you really could do this do it with a prayer for mine and give it a, even if it looks like a a, a a second grader do it there's still valid icons you know if you do it in the proper context um so uh you know just keep in mind you don't have to break the bank you know, just simpler is better. If it's all just paper icon, but like, hey, look, they they were they work. Yeah. Mind you, there's this very specific way to dispose of the icons to get busted up. You have to burn them, so yeah. you can't just throw them into the trash. If you gift them to somebody, you know, put I would put the I usually give the the put the caveat. I say, hey, look, if you don't want this, please return it to me. You know, I'll I'll take care of it. You know, just don't throw it out. You know, mm-hmm. no one's ever thrown them out in my my in my in my watch, but. They, they have a very specific way that because it's just like a holy item. So yeah. that's uh there's there's our there's our quick little spiel on icons. The people at my parish just donate them to the bookstore. And then we have a couple rows of them lined up and it says pay what you want and you just huh. pay whatever you want for the icon. That's pretty cool. It's great. Yeah. It's great, especially great for people newcomers. I mean, it right. took me a while to build that that wall up, and uh, yeah, actually, I 
I just got this one two weeks ago and paid what I wanted. And it's St. Gregory, the theologian and St. John Chrysostom. Oh, those, those guys are giants. Yeah. And I like this one because the colors are kind of different. Like I love teal and I love purple and it's just a different kind of style. Well, this has been so much fun. I learned so much from you. Do you have Mm. any last words for us today? Do I have any last words? (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah, I would just say, um, I would say this, if, if you're newly converting to orthodoxy, because there's something that I'm, de- I'm dealing with is the, the temptation of getting people in, you know, <laughs> of roping them in. Hey, hey, don't you want to be orthodox like me? I got this great secret. You know, yeah. uh, if there's anything, it's, it's always a, a, tom, a, a constant temptation, you know, and I want to say that some of the best thing you can do, it is a bit of a meme. So we can't we can't be spending all day praying, but. Praying and I think living out the example of the Orthodox lifestyle is the best apologetic. I've had the policy if if you're not if you don't ask me about it, I don't I don't and I don't hide it. Please do not hide your faith. But you know if you don't ask me about it, you know I'm not going to invite you to my church. I'll bring up if you ask me a question that's philosophical, I'll be like, well, in the Orthodox way, this is how we view it. So and nobody likes it when you shove something down their throat. Exactly. There's a, I have a personal motto or, or, or like mantra that is perfectly orthodox, actually, and is that I cannot make anybody do anything. We cannot make them do anything. You know, I have a friend in New York. He's like, you know, sometimes I just want to grab my brother and force him to come to church, you know, and that kind of that kind of forceful method doesn't convince anybody. But if we live out our faith and to quote Father Sam from Rose, the reason that the West is not Christian and orthodox is because we have failed as Christians. So first and foremost, if you keep a few things in mind, like don't hide your faith, you know, just live out your faith. And when people ask you about it, let them know and make make a I think having a little plan, like having a few books on hand, having a few books, you know, or if you think they're open to it, maybe you give them an give them an icon, you know, and and also like in my case, like, for example, I live I live like 50 miles away from my church, my parish church. Right. So um, I, I'm in Patterson, New Jersey. It's over. It's over way down south. Uh, if anybody ever wants to join my church, who will probably be someone who I know up here. I have a backup church to send them because I'm willing to go 50 miles to, uh, a trip to go to church, but they might not be. So I'm like, hey, you can go to this church. It's only two miles here. Like, keep in mind logistical stuff like that. But just, you know, be willing to share, be willing to educate, be soft and, you know, show rather than tell. That's all I would say, because it's, it's just a huge temptation these days. And, you know, who doesn't want to share this amazing gift? But, I know. Right. I know. And I'm so lucky to have this channel because if anyone in my life is interested, or they've never heard of orthodoxy. Maybe they've seen something or I've mentioned it or something. They can just go on YouTube and watch it. I watch either my channel or I can send them links or not, or they can just search on their own. The internet is such a gift in that way yep. because, and like you said, like if they want to ask me questions, of course I'm going to talk to them about it, but I totally hear what you're saying. And yeah, the, the zealot um, converting Christian is sometimes a big turnoff. So <laughs> Well, I, I do have is. a friend. I have a friend in North Carolina who um, I love her. We met in a New Age to Jesus Telegram group, mm-hmm. and now we message each other privately all the time. And and a 
when I found my parish and I started going to liturgy, a lot of our, a lot of my messages to her were about how excited I was and this and that about orthodoxy. And she hadn't been to a liturgy yet or anything like that. And I even apologized to her because I said, you know, when, when I'm so excited and I'm sharing this with you, I hope, I just want you to know, I'm not trying to force orthodoxy down your throat. I'm not trying to convert you or anything like that. And she's, she said, Oh no, not at all. And then the other day I learned that she knew about orthodoxy even before I did, she had purchased an orthodox cross before any of, before I even knew her. And, um, she'd been listening to Roosh and a couple other people. So I, I wasn't even the first one to like bring it up to her. And she's now, becoming very, very interested. And um, I don't know where I was going with this, just that, you know, people can discover, you know, the Lord reveals himself in so many different ways. And I've, I'm, I know it's not my job to convert anyone. And I just, I like having this channel just to share my excitement and my enthusiasm, but I know that it's the Holy spirit. And I know that, you know, um, when, when someone's ready to go to their first divine liturgy, they're going to know they're going to be called there. And, and so beautiful. So thank you. Yeah. I really liked, I really liked your final statement. This has been so much fun, Gabe. I really want to have you back on the show. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, I'm open to it, you know, give it, give, give the viewers some time to uh, forget my face a little bit and you know before you bring me right back and yeah we can we can do this again we'll we'll have to cash out some fun fun topics all right okay well to my audience thank you so much for watching and if you have someone in your life that might be interested in my channel i always appreciate a share a like a comment and um my subscribers thank you so much i have over 600 subscribers, which is so surprising to me, just started this channel. But I think because I have such great guests, it pulls people in. And um, when you do subscribe, as I mentioned many times, you'll be notified when my videos go live on the YouTube premiere, which means you can chat with us in the chat box, which is super fun. And um, if you're interested in my life coaching, you can follow me on Instagram at a devotional heart, send me a message. I don't um, do a lot of promoting of my business because this, these interviews are really what I'm focusing on right now. So um, you can ask me anything about my business privately and until next time, God bless you all. Bye.